0: Some dangerous large uh, carnivore
1: out there. And I saw that bird pick a young deer off the road and fly away. And it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of was throwing rocks in our vicinity. Good sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a seven out of my backpack. and looked back and that's when I saw it. I saw one. Uh, for a week, the, the town defiance was being harassed by a werewolf. And it's actually attacked. Two railroad workers uh, killed livestock. You know, just a lot of weird stuff that was going on.
0: It is, this is Gunnar Monson, your host of Monster X Radio and the founder of Sasquatch Coffee Company. Um, We've got a hot deal going on right now at Sasquatch Coffee. When you buy two of our ceramic mugs, we'll give you a free pound of coffee. So um, take advantage of this. Go to our website, www.squatchcoffee.com and get yours. Uh, It's a limited time offer. Uh, We only have so many mugs. And, uh... So much free coffee to give away. With me today is my good friend, um, and uh, uh, recent in the process of relocating, (laughs) gentleman Shane Shane, hardcore homeless uh, (laughs) person,
2: technically
0: homeless, I guess technically. (laughs) But you're not sleeping outside, which you you prefer anyway, so
1: yes exactly yeah but uh you know uh sold my house and uh am in the process of buying another house in washington and now i'm up in the mount hood area uh, actually uh i have a, a travel trailer so i'm staying in that with the family. and we're just loving it we're out in nature and it's uh i could just live here actually and be sound as a pound but uh we do have a <laughs> house on in in our future but uh right now just kind of uh things my for off working and really enjoying, and and really going to hit, we uh, really going to do a lot of uh, outdoor stuff uh, down the road here, an absolute ton in Tillamook, uh, up in Washington, up here in Mount Hood. So I'm really looking forward to uh, the next couple months.
0: Awesome! I hope the weather will be uh, cooperative with your. Of course, you you're uh, good to go in pretty much any weather. So. Um... <laughs> Where a lot of, I mean, it, it is this time of year when when it's, it seems like uh, a lot of bigfooters are you know packeted in for the season, um, but but you're not one of those. You're you're out there pretty much year round. So um,
1: yeah, I try I try yeah. my best. Uh, you know, given the element, you know, I, I love camp snow camping. Uh, you know, specific Northwest, so rain is no big deal. We do it throughout the year, and uh, uh, I I really like to up. Oh, uh my um you know field research this time of year cuz there's not a lot of uh active researchers not a whole lot there are a few but actually doing stuff this time of year i mean the limb project does and of course the force group does and uh but uh i really like to be out and uh you know that way we uh you know i can know what's going on throughout the year or if nothing's going on throughout the year uh, in all months and in all types of weather so yeah it's a, it's a it's a plus and uh i like the cold so I'm good with that.
0: Well, what's cool is that um, our research area in the Tillamook Forest um, gets quiet this time of year. You know, it has uh, a lot more people activity for, during the summer, and this time of year it, it's pretty quiet. So um, we've spent a lot of time out there in uh, the nine months, and aren't aren't the the tourist season. So. Um, and we've and had some interesting things happen, so uh, I'm I'm, ha- I'm excited to see what uh, come out of your your downtime while you're uh, taking some time off and and uh, have some extra time to uh, be out in the the woods. So I'm excited yeah, for That's yeah.
1: cool. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited as well, and I will keep everybody updated. Uh, you know, uh, when I'm sure we'll all be doing uh, stuff together. Um, you know, uh, yep. our team. So, looking forward to it.
0: Well, our guest today almost needs no introduction. Um, Mr. Adam Davis is is an adventurer, explorer, and cryptozoologist. Uh, our guest today almost needs no introduction. Mm-hmm. Oops, I accidentally uh, uh, started listening to myself talk. So, um, but uh, Adam <laughs> Adam has uh, been on on TV. Uh, in on monster quest national geographic uh he just recently uh did a show on the yeti and uh we're excited to have and and he's also part of our our ongoing series of the five journey uh gentlemen <laughs> so it seems accidentally we got us we scheduled them uh, we have russ accord on and uh we're going to have dan lindholm on so uh Adam is hangs out with these guys so it's it's uh it's kinda of fun to have the different perspectives from all these uh uh like minded individuals that that uh uh doing research together. So without further ado, let's bring up uh, Mr. Adam Davis on.
3: Good evening, Adam Hi good, Yeah, good evening. Good evening guys. Nice to uh speak Help. to you and thanks for having me on the show. Oh, we're we're happy
0: to have you. Um, We appreciate – we had scheduled you earlier, but uh, I think uh, Operation Sea Monkey came up, and I wanted – this was definitely a show that I wanted to be uh, on the air for. So uh, thanks for allowing us to reschedule you.
3: It's my pleasure. And, of course, now we've all met uh, on a couple of occasions and got to know one another, I think it makes it easier for a sort of convivial chat. So I'm looking forward to it.
0: So Adam, for for MonsterX listeners that may not be familiar with you, can you give us a little bit of your background and and tell us the Adam Davies story?
3: Yeah, well, in a nutshell, I've researched cryptids all over the world. Most of the time, I've done that on my own money, um, because I passionately believe in looking for scientific evidence, if possible, that these creatures might exist. So. I'd look for anything from the Mekilomembe, the stories about investigating the possibility of a, of, a, uh, of, a, of a potential dinosaur, although I don't think it's that in the Congo, to um, the Gobi Deserts of Mongolia, uh, the, the mountains of Nepal, as you've mentioned, uh, India, China. You name I've been there um, doing these researches. I've made a number of films. Over the years, they include, as you've mentioned, films for National Geographic, films for the History Channel, uh, films on t- numerous TV and radio and newspaper appearances. I've authored two books on my expeditions. And the last thing I did was a return to Nepal um, for, for the Yeti. Uh, so I've done lots of things over, over many, many years. I, I'm mainly self-financed, but... I'm really interested in gathering scientific evidence and also having a great time along the way if I possibly can. So so that's what I'm about, Um, and I've had an amazing time doing it. I'm I'm very lucky to still be alive. Uh, I have been shot at, I have nearly fallen. I've done all these perilous things, but I am still alive, and so uh, I'm very grateful for that too, and so are my family.
0: (laughs) So we're grateful that you've survived your adventures to date. Uh, as well Indeed. <laughs> so adam what what got you into uh, what what brought your interest into cryptozoology? I mean, you have a wide interest of 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 uh mystri- mysterious animals, but what got
3: you started in in the first place well well I was always interested in in tracking animals and doing all of that from an early age It's always been something that i've done, and I've taught my children. I know, Shane, you've, you've been teaching your daughter, but I've, I've, I taught my children as well from an early age to track mm-hmm. animals, to understand all of that. And I think it's really important. And I was doing that as well, and I did that a lot, both in my home area and in, in, on the moors in Cornwall, because I had quite a few trips down there, and I used to love it. But what really got me interested was uh, there was a Arthur C. Clarke Mysterious World series when I was a teenager. And on it, Roy McCall was going to look, to look for the Makini the, Mamembé, the Congo dinosaur in the Congo. And the thing that I liked about him, was, there were two things, really. One, that he was a little bit crap, so he's <laughs> one of a better word, And I mean that very respectfully in the sense that I saw him setting up a hammock in Central Park. And he was going, he was to go to the jungle. He was going, I'm falling out of it, you know. But the thing I liked about him was that he had guts. You know, he had the balls to go and do it. And I sort of thought, well, that appeals to me far more you'll forgive me than someone who seems quite sort of chiseled or jawed in the sense that you know you read a lot of these um, exploration accounts and it was like day 50 my toe dropped off and still I plowed on in this stormy blizzard and I thought that somebody there who was human and fallible was somebody that was much more I could aspire to so I thought I'll go and do this stuff because I think I've got guts so I'll give it a go so it was it was gradual, you know, and all the environments I've been in, I've been in, as I say, jung- numerous jungles, deserts, mountains, now, so I've done them all in terms of expeditions. But it was it was that series that really got me going when I was a teenager.
1: Indeed, uh, Adam. Uh, so, you know, you've been. You've been at this for such a, a long time. And uh, I would like to get into your recent trip out to Nepal, uh, mm. back again, looking for the Yeti. And you were uh, working alongside uh, Josh Gates in uh, an expedition unknown in search for the Yeti. And that uh, I, I, uh, I was glued watching um, uh, that program. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and glad, uh, how yeah. did you... Yeah, how did
3: you get involved with that,
1: uh, and uh, what was your experience?
3: Well, I, I done, um, it Sort of. I'll, I'll backtrack slightly. If, if people are interested in that show, what I advise them to do is to Google and, and do this yourself, Shane. If you've never watched it, if you Google "Abominable Snowman Monster Quest," there's a two-parter I did for them a few years mm-hmm. before I uh, go and it introduces some of the characters that you'll see in the show. So you see Yagihara, the Japanese guy in the show. Well, I was, I buddied up with him when we climbed the mountains for the monster quest show. And we shared a tent together and, and did our things uh, and our investigations up on the higher slopes. Cause that was, that was a much more dangerous show in that sense. we did some really, very, very hardcore mountaineering in that show. And we knew, you know, that was, that was really touch and go at one stage. Um, but, what that did was in that show we went to the west of nepal and what i was conscious of and what i was worried about and speaking to people you know um since when i when i was talking to jeff meldrum in texas recently was i was i was although i enjoyed making that show what i was concerned about was that there wasn't a high amount of sightings certainly in the west of nepal and i was worried that with there not being a concentration of recent sightings i was speaking to yeah, the classic thing i 'd speak to at that point, showing going to were old people who 'd seen it you know, or somebody 's relative third party account, which is sort of reduced in its, in its, in its value as uh, assessment value. so what I was interested in is, is, is it was it possible to do something in the east of Nepal, but I was about to get married you know, so um, I'd worked previously with a producer um, who was associated who I'd worked with in Sumatra on one of the jungle shows i 'd done. And she contacted me and said, oh, we'd like you to do this show. And I said, well, I'm about to get my everything I can. So um, then I suddenly had a Skype interview, <laughs> and there were three um, ladies in the room, and they said, oh, we, don't, we really want you to do it. And I was like, I wish I'd, you know, changed my T-shirt before this happened, because I thought we were just having a chat. <laughs> so um, so I, I ended up doing the, the, the show. and said, where do you want to go? And I said, well, I want to go to the east of Nepal, and then, you know, I think you should send Josh off to Bhutan. I'd love to go to Bhutan. I really wanted to go but obviously I had to do that. So we did the show in 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 Bhutan and, and you, you you and you know I was pleased with with the results. We could talk about it a lot but as a headline I, I you can never say definitively on these things and it's important to be cautious I think. But I I I feel that I found a yeti print there are lots of good reasons why which I can explain explain later on if you're interested. Um but but um what I also got was, was, was quite a few, and it didn't show this in the show, but it's something that I do in the research. I also got quite a few recent eyewitness reports, which I was encouraged about as well. So I was really pleased with the outcome of that show. I, I think people generally liked, genuinely liked it, but also I was, from my own research point of view, which is ultimately what I'm most interested in, um, I was encouraged by recent accounts of the Yeti. So I sort of gambled in a way that we'd get some good results in the East of Nepal. And I I think I would have got, um, would have got kicking off the producers if we hadn't got anything, but (laughs) we (laughs) genuinely, we genuinely did get something. So, and none of it was fabricated. What, you know, um, what you saw, um, in terms of of finding that, that print was absolutely genuine. So I was really pleased about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, let's talk a little about that uh, print, impression you found, um, uh, have you had a chance to really um, sit down and look more, uh, look a little more in depth at that? And have you had anybody else look at that impression?
3: No, not yeah, I, I well, I, I mentioned, I talked about it because I was very fortunate in the sense of I, I like Jeff Meldrum and um, I was with him at the, the Texas Bigfoot Conference, which was great. You know, really had a good time there, and, and Craig and Tammy were really ex- excellent hosts and hostesses. Looked after me very well and Jeff very well. Um, And and we talked about it a little there because I was doing a talk on the Yeti. But I have to go back and and explore it with him further. Um, So that's what I'll do. Uh, The the, the thing about that was what we we were getting was consistent reports in a particular area from eyewitnesses, And what I've never talked about previously in any public forum, so I'll talk about it now for the first time on your radio show, is The predominance of my job over the last um, decade was I used to do cross-examination as a civil servant. So in a kind of roundabout way for American audiences, I, I worked for the British government. Um, I could never talk about it publicly because I had to have security clearance, and it was important I didn't, but I've left now. Um, but my job was cross-examining people to um, assess the veracity of what they were telling um, in a number of ways. Now, it's not perfect science by fault albeit, but you know that was my job for years, and that was what I did. So I really gave um, a lot of the eyewitnesses a good grilling about whether they were, you know, whether I felt they were telling me the truth or not, for for a considerable length of time. And you know, there were a couple I sort of dismissed as a, as possibly very possibly erroneous, but there were a few in particular in the area around Monjo which was really encouraged by. And when we were going to do that um, show, what 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 that. That whole tracking sequence, what obviously you don't know in the film, is that we had this massive entourage, and do remind me if I forget, because I've got a funny story to tell you about the entourage later on, but um, I said, you know, to the producers and, the, and everything at the time, well if, you know, we're going to do this tracking sequence, I want to go on this river area where there's been a concentration of sightings, because I speculated that because it was the dry season, and, and villagers had seen it on the higher altitude slopes it may well come down to the riverbed in order to drink water and feed. And that was the place where um, years before um, on his Destination Truth show, the Nepali guide Tool had found a print which was on Josh Gates's show previously. Not in that spot, exact spot, but within a half a mile of it. So I said, I don't want anybody here, um, I don't want these 20 people, Sherpas, Pangas on, and whatever else for this. I just want me and Tool and you, Josh, to go forward and then the crew can follow behind us. And if we find something, all well and good. But I want them to be quiet. I don't want any, any bloody dar people shouting for things. Let's just try and do the best job we can here. And he was amenable to that. And so were the producers, I got on very well with the crew. They were very nice. So we did that. And you know, first of all, I was coming across some ungulate prints because um, I like tracking. It's good. I mean, I, I I enjoy doing it. I've done it for since I was a kid. And I do. It. And then mm. I found that print um, very clearly. It was an older print um, in, 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 in the water, in, in, near, the, near the stream, by the water near the stream. And I was thrilled, and you can tell by the shape and size of it, without going on about it too much, because I didn't find the Yeti, that, um, that, that it was, you know, something that was, would persuade me, given the physical descriptions of the creature. The fact that mm-hmm. um, a previous print had been found there years before in a slightly different locale, the fact that there was activity in the area, and the fact that, given that shape, it it probably couldn't be anything else, or I'm pretty sure it couldn't be anything else, then it was a print. So, can I say, and I think this is an important point, so I want to come on to this later, did I physically see a yeti, or a yeti-like bipedal creature, make that print? So, no. Can I be sure that that was a yeti then? No. I am making an assumption based on a reasonable hypothesis of what's in the animals, uh, animals are in the area, reasonable um, activity in the area, and um, my experience based on interviewing eyewitnesses um, at a considerable length of time. So it's a reasonable hypothesis, and that's what it is.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, well, I, I really appreciate uh, that answer, and, and uh, uh, as you know, nothing's definitive. Like you said, you didn't see what let that uh you know uh print behind but what, what watching the show and seeing that impression uh the size was what kind of captivated me i could you know i could see detail mm. and I could see the size of it and and so the size mm. is what kind of um gave me uh you know hope that it well i mean what, what else could this be uh you know you do a bear in this area correct uh so i mean that the size yeah. was was unique
3: yeah, and it was nothing like a bear print. As I'm sure you know, from right. you've seen plenty yeah. of bear print. I mean, later on they, 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 in Bhutan, they they, 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 I thought that they they identified something which I thought was very clearly a bear print. And you could see the difference. Um, you could see the pads and and the formation that was the one that they cast was a bear print. But this this was completely different and um, yeah. you know, I need to sit down with Jeff and, 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 and go through that and, and talk about it why. As I say we've had a brief conversation with about it so far, but we'll do it in more detail. It's not gonna it's not gonna prove that there's a yes is science, but you know, right now, Shane, I'm I'm super encouraged by the fact that of the evidence I've got. Before I went yeah. I went with some reputation. Um not not about the, the journey and climbing mountains, but really whether I'd find recent you know, recent eyewitnesses, recent evidence of any description because although i had a good time in West Nepal, I hadn't really found all that much. Uh, but this time was a completely different um situation and, and you know, um I would definitely go again and, and I would do some research and I know exactly what to do, where to do where to go and how to go about it. So you can't, I, I reckon I could I could have a good punt at getting some serious substantial evidence there which I never would have said before I went this time.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I would uh, congrats on finding that, uh, that, that track, uh, you know, that uh, you. print, because uh, I could imagine it's like, you know, being up here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, you know, we could find impressions and tracks, but it can be hmm. very difficult, and I would imagine it's the same sort of scenario in the location that you found that print.
3: Yeah, it's very, very, very hard, and, and I don't recall Another Westerner finding um, a, substantive, a a possible print, very mm-hmm. recently. You know, I mean, the only one I can think of, off the top of my head, that was was really substantive, brings to mind is Shipton um, in '51. I mean, Tool found that print. Obviously, the Sherpa found that print um, previously in in the area around that. But so yeah, it is, it is, it is, it is hard work there, uh, and it mm. was, it was, it was. You know, because before I, when they said, where do you want to go? To start the show, it was a complete needle in a haystack, in the sense that you know, I know that when you're in Mount Hood, it's going to be really hard to find some evidence, but you're kind of in the right ballpark, if you know what I mean.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, but but with with Nepal at that stage before I went, it was really a massive gamble, shown as to where I would go. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, it it worked, and and what's most encouraging, I think, of, of any of that is that now I'm 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 pretty convinced that there are um yeti's knocking about in that area uh, in that area of eastern nepal um whereas before i was really worried um that they might have gone beyond the edge of extinction which i think you know has happened i i i you know i've seen i've been to uh, mongolia on several occasions doing expeditions both to um deserts areas and to the west and uh, there I, I i i charted over over several weeks the decline in eyewitness sightings and anecdotal evidence over many, many years to pinpointing just a tiny area where there may or may have not been um, evidence, and then you saw one potential eyewitness and one potential print many years ago. Now, you contrast that with somewhere like the Pacific Northwest, where you know you have your investigation area where there are lots of um, eyewitness um, sightings and, and potential prints, and it's more about filtering out what's good evidence and what's what's not. Or, or rubbish. So, yeah, it, it was very important to me, and that's why I emphasize it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, once again, fantastic. Now, hypothetically speaking, th- let's say this, this print you found is a, a Yeti print. What would a mm-hmm. Yeti be doing at uh, in that area? I mean, the elevation speaking, what Do, you, in your opinion, would it be going from point A to point B? Would it be living in this area? I mean, food sources, that sort of you know, that's kind of my question.
3: Yeah, this is, a, this is a good question, and I like this. Yeah, I mean, what, what, what let's let's go through a few misnomers here. Okay, so the, you saw when I did the show that one of the things I wanted to emphasize is that the Yeti is predominantly not a white-haired creature, a big white-haired creature that lives on top of a mountain in the snow. I mean, why is it not that? Well, it's very simply, what's it going to eat, yeah, and how is it going to survive? And if it's white-colored... Even at the higher altitudes in Nepal, the, the vast majority of places are not covered in snow. It would be a very poor survival tactic. Uh, it, most of the descriptions of, 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 of the yeti-like creature talk about it being um, torn, muscular, bipedal, conical-shaped head, head, sometimes dark hair um, covering, um, and it moves very rapidly, but removed bipedal. bipedally. That's a classic description. What does it eat? I think it moves in the same way as if you think about... Um, gorillas in the wild, which you know I've seen. Um, often mm-hmm. they live in high, high level, high, high forest, so between eight to ten thousand feet. And there's there's something, without going into too much detail about that, that, that is called the Goldilocks zone, which is an optimum um, um, level of altitude. So where you're starting, you know, if you ask me what I think Yetis predominantly do, I think they operate in in forests as a general rule, um, or, or or high level pasture pasture places where they're seen. there's been quite a few um, eyewitnesses. I think they're omnivorous feeders. Um, At the higher altitudes, there are plenty of small rodents, by the way. I mean, there are literally hundreds of holes everywhere you walk, and I saw those at altitude of 12,000 feet. But they're not living uh, at 18,000, 19,000 feet. They're not living at the height of, 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 say, the Shipton cast. What they're doing there is moving across um, the the, uh, mountain plains uh, uh, and mountains to go to different valleys. So... They're, very, they're obviously very rare creatures, and they'll have very large um, roaming capacity in the same way as... You know, they, they're probably very solitary in the same way as an orangutan. And they roam about um, opportunistic feeders, plenty to eat in different areas. Uh, but they don't stay on top of barns in, in high-altitude places, because there's no food supply. They have to move down. But when I talk about altitude here, you know, it, you can quite happily... Um, in areas like Nepal, 70% of which is, is, is often wilderness, I think. You know, so you can be quite happy at 14,000 feet, uh, you know. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
3: so um, they 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 move around and snack. They're opportunistic. They'll go wherever the food source is and they'll wander about, I think.
1: Yeah. I think uh, the vast majority uh, of people's perception of Mount Everest, when you think of Mount Everest, they're thinking mountain, snow, ice, danger, uh, yeah, they, I think they really do not appreciate. And I, you know, watching Expedition Unknown, um, you know, the hunt for the yeti, that particular episode, they did some flybys, uh, in the helicopter went out over these vast forests and, and, and canyons. Mm. and I was just blown away at the beauty and the vastness. I mean, what else? I mean, there could be the other unknown um, uh, animals out there uh, yet to be discovered in a certain ecosystem. It was just phenomenal.
3: Beautiful. Absolutely. I mean, you you go, you look at all those forests because I've flown in a helicopter over those forests, not for this show, um, but for Monster Quest. I I had to get a helicopter out at the end, um, so to get back to Kathmandu. But but I've flown over those forests, but all over those forests. There's not just Nepal, as you saw in that show. There's Bhutan, but also <coughs> lower down, I've been to India. To the jungles of, uh, to look for something called the mandibarung, which is a similar type of creature in India. And what you see in all of those places are these vast forests, yeah, that, that are almost connected, yeah? I mean, thousands and thousands of, squ- of, of square miles. I remember when I was in India, I mean, it, it, it's tangential, but it's relevant, and I spoke to one of the government officials there, because we had to get paper, special paperwork to go into this area. They wanted to see what we are doing, because there has been a lot of evidence of um, Guerrillas. I don't mean obviously guerrillas, as in the primate. I mean guerrillas, as in terrorists. And you know, we've gone past a burnt-out car, we're in this area, and there've been hand grenades thrown in this particular region. Blah 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 blah. But but when I spoke to this guy, he said, you know, and he was a government official. We just don't really have a clue about most of what's in this forest. We really don't. Um, so there is, there are still big swathes of the world. Uh, that where which where there are forests like this, where people don't go. I mean, I've flown over the Congo forest, and I was in those swamp jungles, and and you know that's an area of the size of Switzerland. I was in, and hardly anybody's there. A few um, Bantu tribesmen at the edge of it, a couple of hundred pygmies. That's about it, because nobody wants to go in there. It's horrendous. There's only people like me that want to cross it and come out of it. Um, <laughs> so so but, you know, but but the the the, 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 the the thing about all of this is when we talk about these these um, hominid creatures, we'll talk about those outside of North America, all we're saying is there were a number of these things that existed in parallel to us in evolutionary terms. And what we're saying now is that there probably are still some of them in remote pockets of the world that have survived. And that's not remotely inherently implausible. Uh, it's all a question of delivery. Yeah. So if I say to you there are yetis running around or or um, the orang-pandak, a jungle yeti or whatever else, a lot of the general public can then become sceptical because they're uneducated about um, about what it might be but for those of us who do know it's intellectually lazy to say well given the fact that we are we already know and we know scientifically that a number of different human species existed, I'm not going to rattle them off but you know yourself, and Neanderthal, and Nivision etc, etc, then the idea that that our, our our remote or relative ancestors or hominids of some description could still exist, it, you know, in 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 an evolutionary blink terms. So, so even if we take it as our historical record, there is nothing remotely unusual about that potential hypothesis. The problem mm-hmm. becomes proving it, not whether it's a reasonable hypothesis. Yeah.
1: Well one of the one of the things that um I appreciated and you, you touched on this uh at the beginning of the show was the fact that uh everything was uh during that you know, the filming of Expedition Unknown the, the Hunt for the Yeti, uh, uh nothing was doctor, nothing was fake, uh, the producers you worked well with. You know, I know hmm. uh the show Finding Bigfoot when it first started out there was a lot of um issues with that sort of stuff and, and the crew, you know, uh Cliff Berkman and Drama yeah, yeah, exactly. I really yeah. appreciate right. uh, you know shows that stick to the facts and really, ha- you know, I mean, really, uh, we're talking about a fascinating subject by itself. And when you find pieces of evidence, I mean, you really don't need to add much. but I think the audience already appreciates that, you, you know. Uh, and it sounds like this, that particular show, you
3: know, Josh stage is, uh, is one of those shows where they really uh, try to stick to the facts. Well, I, I think one of the things that um, we had a discussion about at one stage was. Who would you want to do the analysis, um, the the scientific evidence analysis? Because at the end of the day, and I think this applies to all of us, no matter where we're researching. So um, if you're researching the Pacific Northwest or if Gunnar's researching, um, I'm researching where else. Obviously, I'm going to do a lot more Sasquatch stuff because I'm here in America right now. But whatever we're doing, for me, all that matters at the end of the day is not my opinion. I'm irrelevant. And so are you. Forgive me. And what matters is the is is, is scientific analysis. So I want people who I think are very good to do that analysis. So that's why um, I argued Todd Dissertel should do that analysis. And it's not because I think he's particularly a Bigfoot believer, but I don't really care whether he is or he isn't. Yeah? I don't want confirmation bias for my evidence. What I want is somebody who's going to analyze that evidence independently. Um, see if it can be scientifically corroborated, and give his honest opinion. And I believe that Todd could do that. So that's why I wanted Todd to do that show and do the the, mm. the analysis of of, of of any evidence that we brought back. And I do that for, for for a number of things. Yeah, I think you know what what researchers have to be careful of is just getting people who agree with them um, to be uh, uh, you know their buddies. I think it's important that you um, seek alternative viewpoints, and that the and when you ha- do have evidence. Scientifically analyzed, it's analyzed by the best people you can
1: get. So there we go. Yeah, absolutely, great answer. Um, now, how you know, speaking of Josh Gates, how is it working with him? Um, uh, he seems like such a comedian. He's a funny guy. I think that's a lot of the attraction to that particular show. Uh, he's, you know, uh, he seems like a really funny guy and down to earth. But uh, I've never actually had the, the pleasure of meeting Josh Gates. So I mean, uh, what was your experience just working uh, with him?
3: Well, he is a funny guy. I mean, I I think um, the thing I'd say is that his crew were really good. Um, The the thing that I I liked about a lot of them was they were very professional. And not just professional, but also worked really hard and were great, you know. So on that show, um, because obviously it's quite a demanding show, we'd we'd be hiking or doing a lot of the hiking all day. And you saw us do a night sequence. So we'd finish the hiking. And then at the end of the day, we we were scrambling over rocks at night till three in the morning, and then they had to get up the next day. And they never, they never, I never saw them complain. You know, they were they had to work really, really hard. So I liked them a lot. I thought they were a nice bunch of people. Uh, I, I and I never have. I, I think of all the shows I've had, I never had any problems with any of the crews I've worked with. Uh, yeah, I mean, Josh is very focused, uh, and his, his crew are really great. Yeah. Hmm
1: good stuff. Now, what's what's in the future for you with the, uh, you know, we elaborate a little bit more on the search for the Yeti with what you're partaking in, and where do you see that type of research going? Is, it, is the Yeti um, uh, obtainable? I mean, is it, um, can it, do uh, you think in the future there's possibility that we may uh, prove it, it's, its existence?
3: Yes, I do. I, I think there's a general point I'd make. Um, for all of the people who go after this I think conscious of what you what you are So what I mean by that is um, Approach the topic with a bit of humility I, I'll be the first to say um, I do this stuff because I've done it all over the world Because I passionately love it But I have made mistakes I learn from those mistakes I am still an amateur I have loads to learn I'm not an expert or a teacher Or any of these Um, shameless guru stuff crap that sometimes comes in with bigfoot uh, stuff Um, I'm after scientific um, evidence and I think the best you can do is to move that research further on so I'm after things like DNA, hair evidence because I know that that can be analysed by credible people who I respect and I know that analysis subject to that if that's scrutinised can be can be independently scientifically corroborated a really great clear photograph of the yeti um would arouse some interest it's not definitive um, by any means but it would arouse some interest in the same ways um of the orang pendek so i think what we can do as a group is move the story forward and do it persuade it to be moved forward enough to invite Credible scientific bodies and organisations to study it. Yeah, um, Billy Bob in the woods running around with a shotgun is not going to find Bigfoot. Yeah, he's not. <laughs> or he's, you know, he's not going to find. You know, he's not going <laughs> to. We're not going to do that with the Yeti. It's just, it's just stupid. Uh, and I'm not interested in a photo of a bush um, uh, as being scientific evidence or anything of yeah, yeah. You know, you need a high standard of evidence that that um, will tip will tip um, the body and be persuasive enough to start scientific research projects. And why do I think that? Yeah, I think that because I have spoken to several scientists who, who, who have told me that if if high-caliber evidence is, is produced of a sufficient standard, then that would be enough to, to do so. So, my again, my hypothesis is based on um, direct contact with scientists who have said that. But it has to be of a high standard, yeah? Uh, I think that's important. Hmm.
1: Absolutely, uh, indeed. Now, you know, the, the Nepalese and a lot of the monks, they have a long history uh, and uh, traditions that uh, involve uh, the Yeti. Uh, I find similarities with Native Americans. Uh, do you find any similarities with stories and stuff passed down uh, in the traditions?
3: Yeah, spot on, I do. Um, and one of the things that I've been doing I spent some time, and I haven't published the the, the notes on this yet uh, but I spent some time where a couple of years back in Canada with some of the tribes there uh investigating a really fascinating story about they said that this is a story this is a whole different conversation, but um they claimed that a sasquatch had killed one of their people, so I was investigating all of that amazing story out you I've just not um talked about it yet <laughs> but but I will some point. But but, um, I was very, very interested in the tribal legends there, and I thought that I may well have um, quite a bit to learn from that. Uh, And very recently, I've been working with some First Nation American people down here, and and so I can get some of their stories, because they often have very good intelligence about where these things may be. So I've been doing that down here, and you may have seen, I've been out in the field a heck of a lot recently, (laughs) um, doing things like that. So so, yes, I do. I think one of the things that that um westerners can be when i'm i 'm just talking outside of North America is that they can dismiss uh, um, in a sort of arrogant way local legends and traditions because they don 't seem to um, because they not describe or understand um in the same way as as, as western notions so i 'll give you an example. You know, I, I often talk when I, when I met the pygmies in the Congo and um, they talked about something, about lightning flashing um, from the eyes of something. And then you, you're immediately skeptical. But then I used my camera flash and that was that was one of the things they were referring to. you see what I mean? So you have to break down wow. these local and do it like that. They'd never seen a camera flash before. So part of it is understanding those things. And I think... When, I, when I've always gone out to research things in the past and look for creatures in different parts of the world, one of the things I've looked at is the local legends. So I'm very suspicious if someone said, if, if the, the, the stories and traditions only go back um, 40 or 50 years of a plastic, I don't know, Bigfoot or Yeti or something. But if things are going back many, many centuries with people that couldn't possibly have been connected, then I'm very interested. So I was very keen to do China's Wow Man story, for example, and one of the reasons I was keen to do that was because accounts of the Chinese wild man go back thousands of years. So, BC, you can see pictures of these things in the same way as you can see pictures of the Yeti, going back many, many years. So, one of the shamanistic traditions, apparently, from, with, with the Yeti, so this predates all modern religions. Yes, yeah, all modern religions. Um, th- they talk about all the animals that are um, native in Nepal, uh, including. Um, a wild man, and they talk about how its bones are going to be uh, are good for several potions, and they talk about it, and all the species are listed, uh, and the wild man is one of them. So it's just one of many species. So, uh, and I originally, um, before I did my postgraduate law, I originally did a history degree. So I do think I do um, think it's important to look at um, native and local accounts and study them carefully because they can give you a lot of useful intelligence, and you dismiss them. It's an arrogant, it's an arrogant thing to do. Just,
1: just, yeah. Mm. Yeah. One of the fascinating things to me is, the, especially up there, uh, you know, uh, near you know Everest and whatnot, is the uh, the abundance of wildlife. Uh, I know you talked about mm. that a little bit, but the abundance of wildlife. But you know, when it comes to you know um, really large uh, animals, I mean, there's very few. Uh, so. Like with the uh, track impression uh, print you found, I mean uh, that that was pretty phenomenal. And uh, I mean, do they have an estimate? Do you know if they have an estimate of how many uh, bears are in this area? I know there's two types of bear. I think it's a black bear and yeah, one's, the,
3: one's very rare. Yeah. I mean, I mean you, you know yourself when you see that print because of the shape of the of, of, of the um, of the toes and and the way that it's like, uh and the, the way it imprints it, the. Like, Without going into too much detail, you can see that it's not a bear. You can see the pad marks and the claw marks of a bear, etc. So you can see that. So there's lots of reasons why I don't think about this it, a bear, including the size. And you mentioned that yourself. I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, it's important. I say I don't know when I don't know something, and I don't know um, how often, how common bears are in that area. But the locals that I spoke to, because I did ask them about bears and show them pictures of bears as comparison, and they they had not seen any bears in that area. But they had, uh, and they were quite specific about it. And, and my best witness um, knew all, all the um, all the local um, wildlife. In fact, he had photographs of them pinned on his wall because he he was he'd done some tracking himself, and he was adamant about the difference between a bear and a yeti. Because I questioned him quite quite hard on that, and I didn't give him an easy ride at all. I was very polite afterwards, but I I really gave him a lot of, of tough scrutiny because I wanted to make that differentiation. So you can't say for definite no, but I think. Um, I think, you know, it's pretty clear to most people who do tracking that it's not a bear.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating to me just the, uh,
3: you know, I mean, how how regularly do these
1: guys, you know, uh, in these areas, uh, the, you know, natives that live there, I mean, these people that, I mean, how regularly do they run into bears and whatnot I mean? And do, do a lot of these guys, you know, besides taking hikers out to, uh, you know, summits and some of the other, how often um, are people traveling to these areas? I mean, some of these are so remote. I mean, there's areas up there that nobody can step foot in, I would imagine.
3: Yeah, and I think that one of the things I was thinking of when, when, uh, when you, you were asking the previous question, and you've jogged my memory because I was going to mention it, and then I started talking about the print, but one of the things that you can see very clearly when you wander through Nepal, that tourists are taking on specific trails in Nepal. Uh, things like the Annapura Trail or the hike up to Everest. And there's very clear pathways that they go through and, you know, there's lots of little way stations where they can buy drinks and chill out and eat the same um, palatable but fairly bland food all the way up to base camp and you can do all of that. But when you go even only a mile or so off off the trail, then it becomes very, very different. And I've been to areas, especially when I was in the West, where the vibrancy of the of the uh, flora and fauna changes dramatically as soon as you get out of number one tourist areas, but then get out of the areas where villages are. It's completely different. You know, when I when we stopped um, with the Monster Quest show, when I was doing that, and we were pretty exhausted coming down from that mountain, and I met Ian Redmond at the bottom, bottom of it, and we had a couple. I think we had a couple of whiskeys before we um, got the helicopter out of that area. But we had a snow leopard come into our camp at night, you know, and it was just wandering around, rah, 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 you know, because people just didn't hang around that area. You know, it wasn't used to it. So, how often do you have a snow leopard coming into camp? Do you see what I mean? I, and 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 well, you'd have to tell me. D- <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've never had a snow leopard come into into one of my camps. <laughs> no, there
3: you go. I mean, I've had. I've had <laughs> I mean, when I've been in, when I've been in Sumatra, I've had tigers come to the camp, but snow leopards are normally pretty shy. Um, and tigers are pretty shy, but snow leopards even more so. Um, and, um, and and you know, I, I think the point I'd make by giving you that graphic example, because I was sitting in my tent as, I, as it was walking past, thinking, that's amazing, you know, that that creature is bold enough when it's normally very shy to actually wander actually through the camp. So, uh, what you have on the higher, higher level pastures is you have... Um, things coming down from the mountains and and and, you know the preponderance of sightings are farmers on the edge of on the edge of their cultivation seeing the yeti um coming down from the mountains and that correlates very nicely with the preponderance of sightings i had for the orang pendek in sumatra it was often farmers who were busy hacking away illegally the forest and growing things then the orang pendet comes in to gather fruit and they see them on the edge of their farms and then they see it, it runs away. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think there are, you know, your point, Shane, about there being vast wildernesses, there are these vast wildernesses. I think one of the biggest concerns I would have, though, is that the, the Nepalese have, have got pretty much got their act together um, about, uh, they're certainly a lot better with the conservation. We, I had a guy there from the... Ministry of Forestry and Conservation, and I, I spent quite a bit of time with with Tull and him uh, chatting on the way down. So you saw in the show Shane that I peel off, and then Josh carries on yeah. and goes and does his stuff because I was peeling off. I was to to go to San Diego to to Marinadia. and. I, I I needed them to crack on. <laughs> so the poor, this poor sod, I had him running down the mountains for seven hours, up and down them, you know. I wanted to beast him to get him down to uh, Luckler, the airport, so that um, we'd fly out in plenty of time for me to make my flight in Kathmandu, you know. So he's like, <laughs> it was a class, this is a Northern British thing, so this'll will get you shown. So we're going down the mountains and this guy goes, Adam, Adam, I am tired. It is you're going too fast and I'm like and he had this jumper on, Oh, I'll just take your jumper off, you'll be alright. <laughs> That's a classic northern British answer to anything. Take your jumper off, you'll be fine. You'll be able, you're good for another ten miles, mate, if you take the jumper off <laughs> it's, it's one of those things. But um I talked to him for quite a bit on the way down and they do, they have a pretty good they have it quite together about their conservation in the I'm pretty pleased about that. I think in Sumatra they've still got a lot of work to do. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of the, the the forest being ripped down for plantations for palm oil. Please don't buy palm oil, people. You can see it in lots of products. Look in the supermarket. If it's got palm oil in it and it's not from a sustainable source, don't buy it because it contributes to the destructions of the rainforest. And what happens is orangutans are wandering into those um, palm oil plantations. They're being shot at by farmers. So um, I think they, uh, the Sumatians have, have the best will and intention, I think, the ones I spoke to about conservation. I still think they've, I think they've got a lot of work to do because I think there's a lot of, a lot of corporate greed um, which needs to be stopped there. Uh, in Nepal, it's it, it's probably more together there. Uh, I'm glad about mm-hmm. that.
1: Yeah. Um, how does the uh, government uh, and the local authorities uh, perceive the Yeti, uh, you know, in Nepal and some of these surrounding areas? I mean, is that, you know, one of the things about uh, Sasquatch Research in the United States that comes up time and time again is that there's a cover-up uh, conspiracy that uh, the government's aware of, the military's aware of Sasquatch. I mean, have you found any obstruction from from the Nepalese government or any of the other uh, you know Bhutan any of these other areas
3: well i think that's, I think there's two quick different questions there in a way so i'll deal with i'll deal with one internationally and then i 'll deal with one with from america. Okay. Is that all right yeah absolutely. so i think i think with with um with um the short answer is let's talk about internationally the short answer is no i've never had any hostility uh, a lot of people. A lot of people are very proud of these traditions. I mean, some people are cynical, but a lot of these people are very proud and they're very interested. But a lot of the intellectual people as well are are, are interested when you you start um, getting into this. So, yeah, I I think um, I've always been very encouraged. I've never had problems getting permits. Uh, People have asked me questions. What they don't like is if they think, you know, you might be hiding something. So if you straight up and you say, well, look, I'm looking for um, the orang in Sumatra or Yeti in Nepal or even in Russia when I've been to the Caucasus. Um, I, I got special permission to go into some enclosed military area. I had to bang on this gate and some guy came out with a, some soldier came out, went, disappeared with my paperwork for half an hour and then let me through this militarized zone near Georgia because they know what I'm up to. Um, so, yeah, I've not had any problems with it. And I think, I think, I think, um, I think it's good now north america um i think um i think um it's it, i think it's um different i think that there are there is a different approach to uh to, to, to things in north america but again i never i know had any problems getting permits and i can give you two examples with with sykes i went with sykes on his project And he got the first scientific permit to do genetic research um, in North America. And as part of that, um, we worked with Oregon Wildlife and Fisheries. So he was working with their labs, and they gave him permission to do that. And that was fine, and there was no hostility. Now, when people talk about cover-ups, they normally talk about um, a government-inspired general cover-up of evidence of a particular creature. Now, I've worked for um, the British government, and I can tell you that um, the idea, the notion of conspiracy theories generally, 99.9% of that is bullshit. I mean, there may be um, rogue individuals or even parts of organizations that might want to cover something up. But normally, um, if you speak to anybody in these sort of organizations, uh, they will tell you that uh, you know more than twenty people know it it 's not a secret, <laughs> so the idea for me
2: mm-hmm.
3: that um there 's this massive government conspiracy being fostered by seedy people um keeping away the secret of sasquatch and keeping it close to their bosom that 's just b s you know that 's not that 's not true uh, There may be somebody who in, who in the past has not wanted to cover it up. The garden now doesn 't want a, he doesn 't want a forestry permit permit being scuppered in his area perfectly I can perfectly see that. But I can't see a general cons- government-led conspiracy to cover it up. You know, you ask you'd ask most um, government officials about something like this, and and I think that their response would be, and I don't want to put words into anyone's mouth. I've got I'm not going to start wasting taxpayers' money on that stuff. You guys go up for it or find evidence, and then come to me when you've got it with a general <laughs> attitude. Yeah,
1: Adam the. Uh... I kind of want to switch gears a little bit uh you know you're a fascinating guy because you you've traveled the world you've looked for all sorts of cryptids but one of the more fascinating and very probable cryptids that we touched upon earlier is the orang pandemic you know cliff barrick yeah. Bar- is Bar- Bar- yeah. involved with that um and uh, it's truly one of the more fascinating cryptids and one that i think may be discovered uh before mm. some of these others uh what's your opinion on that and in, uh, also uh, your work behind oran Pendek is fabulous
3: yeah and i and I, I, I i've loved lo- looking at that and i think there's some very good work going on there um so i have i've been to some i was i was fascinated by <laughs> um the pendick for for a number of number of years I, I when i first went um looking for it in uh I think it was 1998 or something was the first time I went looking for it when I went up there um, with a guide. Uh, I, I traveled all over Sumatra looking for evidence and I took a guide up there who said he'd seen um, the uh, Orang Padek and I took him up into the jungle and he showed me where it was and ever since then I was coming back. Uh, um, so I was, I was fascinated by it. But, but I think, you know, what I've tried to do again is to get credible scientific evidence of, of it. And so... I have, I, have in, um, I have in the past got um, a prince of the Orang Pendek together with uh, my teams at the time, and they were analysed by Chiris at Cambridge and by Jeff Nardrum, who the prince there. And they said that um, that was an unknown primate, so I had a cross-reference from two leading academics to do that. I had a hares analysed by Hans Brunner, um, who did the Dingo Baby case, and he worked for Murder Trials in Australia. He was, he was, he, And he, he The case with Lindy Chamberlain He worked on that So his evidence was good enough for that A murder trial And he said um, the, the hairs were from an unknown primate In, in Sumatra um, And I've spent years and years Trekking through that jungle And uh, You know it seems like years and years But obviously I've been there eight times over the years I've trekked through that jungle Gathering um, evidence for an analysis And yes it does exist I've spoken to many many eyewitnesses over the years Uh, Yes, it it probably is the most likely one to be found uh, quickly, unless somebody gets extremely lucky with with Sasquatch. But uh, I think it's under um, environmental pressure as well. So uh, I think the only caveat I put to that is, let's hope it's all its jungle isn't pulled down or or destroyed or a large habitat of it before uh, it gets identified as a species. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, Oran Pendic though, some of, some of the track uh, castings to me are really clear, uh, definable, and amazing. Um, and really, speak, I mean, uh, I think a lot of people get confused with Sasquatch, Yeti, Oran Pendic, to kind of throw them all the same thing when they, they are probably, I mean, obviously, uh, maybe not the Yeti and Sasquatch per se, but definitely Oran Pendic a completely separate hominid or primate. Uh, And to me, that's uh, very fascinating. But the the track impressions um, that have been found, they're very consistent in my eyes and uh, are are amazing and and really uh, speak to something different than what we're dealing with here in the United States.
3: Yeah, I I think one of the things you'll see is is, uh, I did the Finding Bigfoot episode that was in Sumatra, and I'd known Cliff Barrettman um, sort of before we went. But I really got friendly with Cliff during that because uh, I I took him up into the jungle. It was the first time into the jungle. And the scenes that you see him in the jungle with, I'm filming them. So uh, I I went and did that. Um, So after that, he was persuaded by um, the veracity of of what he found there to pursue the Around Van project, which he funded off his own time and money. I think it's important to say um, people people think, you know, when you're doing... um, um you know, those sort of shows. Cliff isn't a multimillionaire. No, he's not you know, he he's not you know, he doesn't live in a massive mansion. He it's a lot of pays time and money to fund that. And so he deserves a lot of credit for that. And he did it for three years, um, that research. And I think um he would correct me, but I think over sixty casts have been found which are worthy of analysis. And he'll write and analyse that I think Jeff's gonna go through it, Jeff Meldrum. And they'll publish a a body of work on that, which will be a great cryptozoological piece of work. So I was very proud to have a small part in that, and it was a small part. Um, I helped with the inception of it because he asked me to. Uh, And I'm I'm fascinated by it. I'm usually encouraged by the work that has come out of the Olang Pondek project. So he'll publish that. And it's very encouraging. And the thing thing I say to people is, um, when people are doing research in other areas looking for these things and doing it uh, in a methodical way we should all cheer them on Yeah, I'm not in competition with anybody else Absolutely. if you find evidence of the Scotsquatch I'll be delighted, shout it from the rooftops. I'm interested in collaborative research and, and that was a very good example of collaborative research
0: Collaboration not competition
3: Yeah Yeah, in the right way
0: Right, I mean and that's that's uh, something that we promote here on MonsterX as well. So, uh, Adam, I'd like to kind of uh, so you—you've now moved. You're originally in uh, the United Kingdom and have moved mm-hmm. to the San Diego area. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what? How has that changed? Because there wasn't a lot of uh, of of. Uh... Excuse me, I have to cough for a minute. Uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, local research that you could do in in uh, the United Kingdom. Now that you're in the, the U.S., how has that changed your uh, research?
3: Well, it, it's made it easier. I mean, that, that, that's a starting point because you're right. It's <laughs> difficult. I mean, when I was talking to Craig, Craig he to, um in Texas, he was like, well, he never even went in Europe, Adam. Predominantly, you're always everywhere else in the world. He said, so surely, uh, surely not being in England won't make any difference. And, and that's absolutely right. Uh, I, I was I was all over the world, and I wasn't even in Europe. I do not did anything in Europe. Uh, oh, one thing, one thing in Norway, but but everywhere else uh, was was outside of the outside of Europe. So, yeah, I, I, and I I've I've done. Um, a couple of things. I mean, obviously, you talked about the five journeys, and um, that, that's a nice bunch of guys. Uh, that, uh, Dan Linden, Ed Brown, Russell Accord, and Kirk Brown. There's no relation uh, to add. And uh, I did quite a few things with them over the summer. Uh, and we went to Yosemite. We went to um, Soa, um And I went there on three occasions. And um, I got on very well with them. And I like the fact that they're, although they're strong minded individuals, and I mean that as a compliment they have very different um, views to some degree on things but most recently I, I know what I'm, I'm doing right now is I'm working down um, in the Cleveland National Forest and with um, First Nation people trying to identify potential research areas here, I've spent a lot of time out in the forest day and night recently and I've identified one potential research area um, eventually, it's been a hard slog um, that I'd like to look more into so that's what I've been doing, uh, and it makes life—it does make life easier. I mean, there, there are other areas I'll be going to. I've got s- some really cracking things coming up um, yeah. over the next few months. So I've got some excellent things that I'm actually genuinely excited about, and I've—I've I've had a good since I got here. Um, I've had some great research opportunities, which have been a lot cheaper and a lot easier
1: <laughs> than I would have
3: had it if I'd stayed in the United Kingdom.
1: Yeah. You know, it's fascinating to me uh, that you're down in San Diego because I I used to live in San Diego for many years, and mm-hmm. uh, that's where you know traveling. I'm a Brit too, so traveling from Scotland mm. to San Diego, uh, I spent mm. a lot of time in San Diego, uh, going to many of the places you're you're. Uh, I've seen you've been out to Palmer Mountain recently. One of my yeah uh, yeah, I've been out quite a lot. Yeah, one of my old areas. And uh, people might, a lot of our viewers might be aware of this, and maybe not. There have been um, Sasquatch reports from uh, that area, San Bernardino, which isn't too far away. Um, yeah. Also, up in Alpine, up in the Queen America, you know, State Forest area, yeah, Robin, which is yeah. Julian. Yeah, 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 yeah Zuby. Um, yeah, but, around uh, Yeah. Mm. All around there. So there are Sasquatch reports in these areas. A lot of them are older reports, uh, you know, and in, in, in the high desert areas as well. Uh, mm. More well, towards you. yeah,
3: yeah. I've been out to the Anza Barigo a lot as well, 'cause I quite like it around there. So I've been out there too. Yeah, I, I, and I think I, I think you adapt and do the research as best you can. So you know this area, Shane. So you know again, you, you can do a hypothesis thing. There's not the same concentration or classes sightings as there are, say, where you are up in Mount Hood and Washington area. And, I, and I'm totally good with that. Um, but what I am doing is applying the same research methodology to methodology to the area that, that it's in. So I think in the lower levels of, of Anza and Cleveland from National Forest, they remind me a bit of, of Mongolia, interestingly, and you know, some of the alma stories come out of. So I'm looking at those and seeing if I, if I, if I can pick up any evidence. And I may not, you know, i am not I can't say right now I'm I'm hot on the trail of a Sasquatch because I'm not. Um, All I can say is after many, many hours and days of research down here, I've identified one potential area that I'd like to work for a number of reasons, which I won't go into now. So it's harder down here, but it's interesting.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: No, no, it's very interesting. And there's a little bit of history there and and whatnot. Uh, I I spent many years kind of researching that before I got my foothold. You know, I used to travel from San Diego to Yosemite all the time, uh,
3: yeah, uh, yeah, which is a long journey because I did it myself. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it is. It's like a twelve-hour drive, so it's it's yeah, a long yeah. journey. Um, but you really get out in you know northern California is almost completely different uh, than southern California, but both have uh, uh, you know uh, reports uh, more northern California than southern, but there are southern California reports, and it's a great launching point, And we're really I I know personally I'm I'm really stoked that you are here in the United States now. Uh, doing research, and, and it's going to launch, uh, I, I could see a lot of interesting and uh, fascinating opportunities for yourself uh, being here in the States now uh, as a launching point, especially specifically with the Sasquatch phenomenon. Uh, I mean, uh, you got to be, um, I would imagine, pretty happy uh, not having to travel <laughs> so far.
3: Yeah, I'm delighted. I mean, there are good opportunities. I mean, there's some I'm going to capitalize on very soon. Um, which I'll travel about. I'll talk about those when I've done them, um, not before. <laughs> um, but, but but I'm quite excited about at least two of the projects I'm coming up to very shortly. And also, you know, I want to get out into the Pacific Northwest. Uh, the area where you live, Shane, I'm, I'm always very interested in. Uh, mm. I think it's a great area and probably, you know, pound for pound, the best area to research mm-hmm. in, 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 in North America. So I've got to get right. out there again. I do, I do like it. I, I do I do love it. It's probably my favorite area. But I've ever been right. Um, so well, I'll be up there again, and no doubt I'll see you soon. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah,
1: definitely. I look forward to it. But I mean, we have uh, fortunately, I've you know I, I met you several years ago up at the Olympic Project, hmm. and yeah. uh, uh, had quite uh, an experience. Uh, and I really yeah, got to see <laughs> uh, it was, and I got to see you in action, uh, and that was quite the experience all by itself. Uh, you know, with with. Uh, you know, possible Sasquatch activity. I really don't know what else Mm. to call it, Uh, given it was the Olympics, and we had uh, some really strange stuff uh, take place uh, during your visit. You know, it's one of those things where we've had many researchers up there and nothing happens. And and that, you know, uh, we we provide these public expeditions and whatnot. But this particular trip uh, that you were um, available to join us, uh, it was uh, pretty fascinating, uh, you know, and... uh, your experience with um uh gorillas and whatnot uh, in your travels and i mean I just saw you launch right into atom mode and it was uh it was fascinating to watch uh how you snapped uh, you know night and day uh one minute you know we're just we're we're walking we're we're you know kind of real quiet and whatnot and then instantly something's going on and atom mode snapped in that was that was really awesome, and I look forward to more. Uh, well, hopefully more uh, more of this, but uh, I know you love the Pacific Northwest as
3: I do. But I mean, uh, that was a that was a pretty uh, crazy little trip for you, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was. I mean, the, the snapping into Adam mode. Is, I, mean, I think that's a really good way of putting it because what I do in in those is I like um, I like to chill out and talk, but when I'm on the trail or I'm tracking, bang bang, I'm, I'm there. Yeah, I'm focused, almost like a pointer dog. You know, so. On that, I'd noticed as we were walking along, and I'd noticed that um, from the incline, and I'll just briefly go through that so we'll set the scene so um, people can understand um, what our motivations were, because I think the you come a good piece of evidence afterwards. So we were walking along, and I'd noticed some debris um, up from a squeeze slope, which would be a good observational point, but there was no, there was no wind for that. Um, so that didn't make sense. So that immediately... Um, got my hackles up. want of that word, so I tried um, calling out. Uh, ultimately, I'm giving a, a short version of what we did over many hours, and um, yes. I emulated um, um, alpha male gorilla behavior. Obviously, I've seen gorillas in the wild. I know how they behave, so I did that. I called out, and I got called back, um, and I got, and, and it wasn't what, what. And I got calls from eventually from both directions, and obviously, I urinated, and that was when the, I got a very loud reaction. And there were a number of people there. Um, many people who mm-hmm. went met, who were clearly astounded. Um, they could hear all those calls coming backwards and forwards from different parts of the things, and they they, they seemed very ape-like. Um, and it was I was very pleased that so many people got something out of it. They were really they were really really pleased that that happened. And then afterwards, um, you had the presence of mind. But I came mm-hmm. back and I was pretty exhausted when I'd done all that <laughs> you remember <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> yeah. just sat down the, down by the fire and I was goosed absolutely good because it, it was it took a lot out good good yeah. and then you have you have the presence of mind to go out there and put a recorder down and uh, you and gonna played that um, um when you did the talk at the IBC conference in September and you'd obviously played that before when you and I had spoken and we'd done we'd talked about it before and it seems to me that that that, that you got a recording of what sounded like an ape-like creature burriting around see it rum- rummaging around then you hear that ooh, 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 which is pretty clear um mm-hmm. and that was again that again that corroborative evidence that there was a Bigfoot there now you could turn round and, and you could say well it doesn't prove there was a bigfoot there, blah 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 well no of course it doesn't prove there was a bigfoot bear. right it, what it what it what it is, is is interesting evidence but what i would do if i was there or and the, um, you know and me and you were sat there and we had several weeks to ponder over it is we'd work that area yes yeah? so we'd emulate the same things we'd be trying to repeat the same experiments trying to get better recordings trying to get hair um, to, to, to work the area, it doesn't prove it but it's an area of interest, when multiple witnesses who are not connected, I have no way I mean I haven't even met a lot of those people they were going on the first ever track with me to even know their names and they all experience the same thing and come to reasonable conclusions then it's, it, it's fascinating then you get a recording which is further um, circumstantial evidence, then that's a great area to work and that's what I talked to uh, Derek about before I left, about NEST and other things around that area, mm-hmm. and, and how and how we discussed how he might work that. Um, I don't need to tell him what to do. He's a brilliant researcher, but I'm just giving him the benefit of what I experienced and how I found, and that's important that we share the, share the evidence as as, as we discussed earlier. On. Yeah, you know, and we actually had uh,
1: Dr. Jeff Meldrum up there, and then so the after mm-hmm. that initial um, encounter experience, we went out the following night, and uh, that was after I. Uh, – I uh, left the audio out there, and, and Meldrum and us went out there in a small group, and uh, we had, um, you know, nothing really happened other than, you know, uh, it was so quiet and whatnot. Meldrum, uh, Dr. Jeff Meldrum had, you know, said, hey, can anybody hear whistle? And so uh, Keith, um, an Olympic project member out of, out of Texas, he let out this huge, I mean, just piercing whistle, and we got immediate, immediate uh, response, uh, whistle. We all heard it. And that was it. But it was just very interesting because it's a whistle that I've heard in other locations. And we're talking about 11:30, uh, 12 at night. Hmm. Uh, which, which is response. great. Yeah. yeah.
3: And, and you notice for that one, I deliberately excluded myself from that party. So I stayed yes. and didn't go because we were trying to emulate um, um, a response with different people yeah where i'm clearly sat at the campfire and so it can't possibly be have any association with me and different people are looking to elicit a response in the same area and that's a useful experiment you see so that's what we did and mm-hmm. so we got they got this high pitched whistling. so that's, yeah. i think that that's, that that that's conducive of something that makes it a really good research area because you're getting repeated phenomenon for want of a better word in the same area yeah no it's really fascinating i mean the whole
1: experience for me. Now, this is an area that we've had a lot of uh, activity, uh, you know, possible Sasquatch activity, activity. A lot of, you know, there's been sightings in this area. It's an area where we've uh, found impressions and tracks and cats have been So this area, and the funny thing and about the initial night, yes, and a possible sighting, but the, uh, the hmm. initial area we were heading to was not this area. We actually got stopped short of uh, where we were initially heading to. And so, it was uh that was pretty unique, uh but still uh, a lot happened uh that particular trip and it was a pleasure having the author, Adam, and, and uh having uh, witnessed uh what you do best is, is field work. I mean you're you're a fascinating guy. You have great ideas and you have a great presence, um you know, uh, a leader well, thanks, and uh, with a lot of knowledge. And it's just it was really truly I learned a lot from that particular expedition, and it was uh, it was a lot of fun. So, uh, uh, you
3: know, oh, well, thank you. Well, free. hopefully, we'll get an opportunity yeah. to to go out together again because I'd like that. I'm Not just saying it, it's not some flippancy because um, I'm on yeah. a radio show. I mean that. You know, I, you know, I speak I straight. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do that. You know, you just we'll, we'll you say that
0: and, to all the radio to all the podcast hosts. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Let me tell you now. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so if if you haven't had the pleasure of meeting Adam in person, Adam is is a great cut up. I mean when he's, I mean, he's a very serious field researcher, but the guy has got a great sense of humor. So it's it's. Uh, oh, he's a Brit. You're, you're, you're Brit getting like me. Yeah, he's uh, <laughs> well, you're Scott. That's I don't know if that's the same thing. I'm still so. still part of Great Britain. You have a great, I do hold a little you, bit yes. against him <laughs> English, yeah I,
1: that's
3: okay. I can see that.
2: <laughs> I'm not Celtic
3: to open that things. up. I'm wow. i <laughs> half Welsh, so uh, uh, so, um, so so it's it's a Celtic thing rather than a British thing. <laughs> indeed, <Right>. indeed. <laughs> So
0: so Adam, I want I want to get in. So on that particular trip that you started at the Olympic Project, you also made a visit to to the Southern Oregon habituation area of, of uh, Matt Johnson, hmm. and some weird some weird stuff happened. And you didn't talk about it for like a year until basically he kind of threw you under the bus, in my opinion, that, you know, there was agreement not to talk about it. And, and uh, your name was kind of brought up without really your consent, which is to me, is not ever very cool. If I, you know, if I go out and and we have an experience um, you own your own experience and I, and I own my own experience, but Mm. I, I don't talk about your, your stuff, but, so um, well, let, let, let you had come, some weird in shit in. happen in in Soa. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think you know that the purpose of that whole trip was I wanted to go to different areas and look at completely different research methodologies and see what I could learn from them or not learn from them. But the whole purpose of the trip and what I'm always about. Was, was trying to get um, uh, hair, hair samples, evidence, yeah? In that instance, hair samples right. I, I, I sent to Todd, Todd Disattel subsequently. That was what I was doing. I was very open about it. that was what I wanted to do. And, and, and you heard how much I enjoyed the Olympic projects, and I really did. It was great, and I want to go up there, and I really like all of the guys there. Uh, it, it, was, it was a great experience. I was very happy when it came out of that. And 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 after um, I went to Johnson's area, I ended up going off to see Bart Catino and Justin Smeher at the um, alleged Sarah Kill Sarah Kill site. That's a whole different story. But I wanted to see Johnson's um, area in contrast because I think that there were there were three different approaches with different con- contrasting um, methodology, and I also, I wanted to see if I could get any hair samples from them. And they, you know, so I went over to um, Johnson's area now. It's a very very long story, but 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 we'll just we'll just we'll just cut to the chase. So, um, what everybody wants to know is what what I saw there. Now, uh, I was there four nights, and um, I think very very briefly on the third night I was there with my buddy John Carson. And when we first got to Sower, um Johnson was very polite to us, uh, and I think he was polite all, all the time I was there. But he cut an unusual figure. Um, I think it's fair to say. I mean, we we, we were sort of teasing him because he was playing all this Kenny G lift music to the bushes, and we were like sort of saying, well, if you play that Kenny G lift music, we're going home now, or we're going to tie you to (laughs) a tree. And and then um, he he said to me, walks me towards the bushes, and he says there are about, there are four or five, because he has this 24-hour clock thing in Sower, and he said there are four or five Sasquatch or, out in the bushes there and I walked towards the bushes and I could see absolutely friggle yeah so um you know you've walked towards the bushes with with Johnson um gonna did you see lots of bigfoots in the bushes absolutely not i
0: my experience did not include any bigfoot sighting stuff whatsoever
3: well there you go so i didn't see any and so i was i was a bit like well you know this is not going to be very good you know i'm not, i've got a few days stuck with this guy and it's going to be difficult. We'll just collect them and then we'll move on. And I followed all his protocols because he'd invited me and I was his guest. So I followed all his protocols and did all of that. So I didn't move outside this perimeter that he said. And I didn't have, um, we didn't have um, campfires and we didn't have alcohol or anything else. I followed all his protocols to the letter. I signed his NDA, even though I know I've got, as a post in law, those NDAs are not worth the paper they're written on. They're not legally enforceable on public land. So that's a load of rubbish. So, um but I signed it and I was respectful and I never revealed the location of his area even after he behaved horribly. Uh so um but I did. I think, you know, John Carson and I I think uh, you know I I I'm hyper alert in these sort of places, hyper vigilant and that comes back from many years in the jungle and you know, half listening out for tigers. So I, I'm I'm pretty alert in these sort of places and I saw it. Very late at night, I saw a, a white beam of light cutting across the um, cutting across the pathway that leads down from Sella. Um, there's a, there's one pathway that leads down where a vehicle can go across, and you're familiar with that, Gunner, so you'll know what I'm talking about. And it didn't seem like natural light; it didn't seem like moonlight or anything else. So I said, "What's that?" to John, and then lo and behold, this thing started crackling, and uh, two figures emerged, uh, and they were small and black with bright. Red eyes for light, light, bright red eyes, and I was like, "What the what is that? Are those things? You know, what the heck are those?" And we discussed it, and um, I was, I was, I was amazed, and I, I was, I didn't want to see these things. You know, I wanted to see a big bigfoot. I didn't want to see these creatures, whatever they were. And they were knocking about for a while, and uh, we, John, then said, "Well, uh, you know." I said, I'm not going to bed with those things around. Johnson looks at them briefly, but it's not really his story to tell. I think, you know, um, when Johnson talks about this, although he acknowledges that we saw these things first, you think he was there all the time. In reality, um, he he goes to bed, uh, which is strange in itself. I mean, the the, the excuses he may give if he he were here were that he was tired and, and other things, but he wasn't driving that day. It was the third night we saw him, and he wasn't driving the day after. He went to bed. So we see these things and Johnson sees them for a few minutes, but we're studying them for a while. And then John calls out, Well, what are you gonna do if we don't go to bed? And lo and behold, these two things come rushing down the pathway in this like orange orange raggedy glow is the weirdest thing. Absolutely weird as heck. And um I didn't have a solution to that problem. I was I could see the anger and aggression on this thing's face. It was it was absolutely pure, and I thought, well, this is this is it. This is how it's going to end. What a crap way to die. So I, I thought I'm going to die here in this place, and no one's going to know. And I I, I shot a light, and the things disappeared, and um, there was nothing there. And then, lo and behold, this area where these this mist that these things came out of started crackling and then they appeared again and then we shone a light and they bugged off uh, and, and I don't know why or how any of those things had happened but they happened now um, I didn't want to talk about that and there were several reasons why, which I didn't want to talk about it for first of all there's no I, I at the time I had a, a very responsible job I was working in the civil service and I didn't think it was a great career move to talk about that um, sort of thing and Johnson knew that that was a reason why um, secondly, um, most importantly, I think um, John and I found this a very, very unpleasant incident It wasn't, you know, a great thing I don't feel blessed that this happened to me There's a very long story behind it But we looked at it for hours And we watched these things over two nights For hours and hours and hours And Johnson gets brief glimpses of them For a couple of minutes And, and, and we, you know, I think it's fair to say And, and, and John, we're here, I'm putting words into his mouth we were very disturbed by the whole thing so I had a responsible job. We were both very disturbed about it. And we made it very clear to Johnson we didn't want to talk about it. Um, now, um, and we left it at that. And then the next thing I hear is Johnson's at his conference, and he straps a bandana on his head and starts talking about it as guardians of the portal uh, and other nonsense. And then, A, whatever his interpretation was, that's a, in my opinion, was a very dishonorable way to behave. Um, and, and secondly, um, th- this notion of guardians of the portal has now become some sort of mantra that has been adopted, which is absolute nonsense. Yes, I did see um, strange and unusual creatures, which I cannot explain, which I and I definitely saw them, and they were corroborated by the other people there. But um, what um, what they, they were not guardians of anything. Uh, th- these these things were out to attack us. Johnson talks as I think about it being a bluff charge. Well, I have seen bluff charges of creatures in the world and, stuff. and these things were after us Whatever they, hell they were, they were after us So um, You know, you, you have to um, but, but there's this um, Quasi-theology that has been Developed around um, The fact, The facts of the situation is We all observed, and some of us a lot longer than others Strange, anomalous things that Which we cannot explain at that situation And then the guardians of the portal Comes out, and as far as I know it's because of Voices, these mind speak Voices in his head tell him so uh, well, they didn't tell me that, and I can tell you that's completely wrong. So <clears throat> that's how it happened. And then, obviously, that that story blew up, and I was very annoyed about that. And I was annoyed um, on a number of reasons. And then, you know, I was annoyed as well because it, I've done research all over the world, and the only questions I was getting was p- predominant was about this four days in bloody cellar. I thought, I don't want don't to go on about this. So eventually we talked about it. Um, uh, John and I did a radio show with Tim Bernal and obviously you know John's view and I think this, this is interesting because I hear a lot about what my view is off other people but
0: mm-hmm. John's
3: view is obviously that they're, they're demonic in some ways and I, don't, I think that that's one possible explanation I respect John and the reason I respect mm-hmm. John and I'm fine with it and he may or may not have a different view from me is because he's gone about it in the right way um, you know, I don't know what they are you know, could they be demonic? Well, they—I don't know. I have no idea. Possibly, could there be an extraterrestrial or, or interdimensional entity? Then yes, they could be. But the, these—you know—these are all possibilities to me. I don't know what they were, and I, I think it's okay to say I don't know. And and you know, rather than dea- deal in ridiculous certainties and create some myth about these things, but there's a lot of um, you know, I think there's a lot of that Sower uh, stuff that needed investigation and answers because it troubled me deeply. So when I went with the Five Journeys team, um, I decided to go. First of all, Johnson had publicly renounced his site. It had been busted open by Stephen Strufoot and Jamie— not Jamie Wayne or whatever he's called. He's like that guy anyway. Mm -hmm. So they—they—they'd gone and had a brief look at it and then driven off. but I thought, well, I want to do an investigation, and i want to I want to actually you know go through this and, and go through it and I thought that they were a good bunch of people to do it with, and the reason um, I thought they were a good bunch of people to do it with they are like them as individuals I thought I think you know they're nice guys, but aside from that, they had different points of view from from me and without going too much into their personalities. I think at one end of the spectrum you had you'd have Russell, who is a real skeptic, I think, and you know has to see it to believe it x forces background and things like that. And then on the other side, you've got someone like Dan, um, who is a well known researcher, um, a lot of personal integrity as well, but has done it for many years. Obviously, you've got Ed and Kirk, and Kirk's a great tracker, and and, and, and Ed's an extremely um, jolly and, and, and balanced guy. So you've got those different personalities there. But I didn't want people who might just agree with me. I wanted people, I want people on my team who are going to challenge my opinions and give me food sure for thought rather than. Um, just agree with me because I'm who I am, yeah? So that was why I wanted to bring those people down. And I wanted to do experiments to see if we could find out any answers to these things. So, um, you know, one of the experiments we, we did, for example, was – and this I think this is an important point – Or a lot of habituators talk about how they put a bowl down for something and it must be the Bigfoot that took their food because they think it's a Bigfoot or they've seen prints or whatever else. Well, no, it goes back to my point, you know, when you asked me earlier, Shane, do you think that was a yeti? I was pretty, you know, I say, well, you know, to the best of my ability and, and knowledge, I think right. it was, and we talked about the reasons why, but I made the point that I did not physically see a yeti walk in that, in that path, so I cannot say it was a yeti, yeah? And what I want to say to people who think, you know, everything's a big sort that it takes from their food bowl, is you, unless you physically see it, you don't do it, so one of the things you you know I, I, we did was we set up camera traps in that area and, and set down a, and we showed how a deer had gone to a bowl and eaten from this bowl and then gone off yeah and it didn't leave a trace there were no no particles of food debris or anything else the bowl was completely undisturbed so it was the same situation as could be as could happen um, at, at, from Johnson's gifting bowls it was a perfect example so that was an experiment you see and I think that's a useful experiment because Again you can't make assertions unless you are able to have other people replicate your experiments and get you the same result then the experiment doesn't work so any notion that um, a gifting bowl automatically comes from a bigfoot or a bigfoot is, is invalidated right. by that experiment does that make sense uh, i don't want yeah. to have a no, sure, yeah. you you the, uh,
0: you can't make a definitive statement that because something ate food out of a particular bowl that it was bigfoot i mean that's a big leap so, yeah.
3: Absolutely, but what, but what you should do, um, I think, when you're trying to make assertions, is get um, your evidence reproduced and corroborated and replicated by other people if possible. And, and in that instance, that's an example of an experiment that fails because um, a different result was achieved by different people using the same methodology you did. Yeah? So that was, that was a useful piece of proof, I think, a very, very useful piece of – no, I shouldn't use the word proof – a useful piece of evidence. Uh, 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 of, of, of why that experiment fails and why that assumption about eating from bowls fails. Then, the alternative, um, we did witness unusual phenomena. All of us, we had some night vision goggles and we witnessed, you know, you, we, we saw um, orange glow through these night vision goggles, uh, which was impossible because you can't see an orange glow through a night vision goggle. Russ saw um, uh, a strange. Um, a strange white pulled face low through his thing. I mean, there were some strange I mean, there's a whole catalogue, but there were some strange things that happened at that area. So it doesn't mean that I'm not going to turn around and say, oh, Johnson's um, a liar, because I don't think he is in right. that sense. I think, he, I think he exaggerates some of this stuff uh, straight mm-hmm. up, and I, but, 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 but I don't think he's lying about the whole thing. It's, but I don't think, nor do I think it's a Bigfoot wonderland. Uh, what what you know? It's an old logging road, and it's not a particularly nice forest. What I think yeah. uh, is, is, is that is that you know, having studied it now and, and been a, been a few times, is, is it some sort of paranormal phenomenon? Now, when you say paranormal, that's de- that's extremely unsexy because it, I'm not I, I, because it can't be measured and, and, and analyzed. A lot of this phenomenon that doesn't mean. When I say that word, it doesn't mean that I don't want to measure and analyse it. I think we should use the best tools we can to try and identify what goes on there. But there are some things that, right now, I cannot explain uh, that definitely happened. And um, happened to me on the on the on the first occasion with John Carson, and it happened um, to the to the to the four people I was with on that occasion, and then subsequently on the other two trips, I went there. That are worthy of further research. Um,
2: yeah.
3: I don't. But, but you know, the idea that the you know, all of that, all of that stuff around all this. I, I just say be very, very cautious about these ideas because if you're doing these sort of things and you're trying to habituate for many, many years, and why are these things always in the shadows or mind speak? You know, if they really want to speak to you, or you know, when you ever do habituation in other areas, it doesn't take nine years for something to appear in front of you. And if you're calling yourself teacher, or you're Developing some eg- egocentric theocracy around these things, I think that that's not conducive to to good research, and that that's my view. Yeah. Oh,
0: well, and to, be, things... and to be clear, you're 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 approaching this as we're talking about a terrestrial, you know, animal, not 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 yeah, I, I interdimensional think, yeah, clear, traveling.
3: Let, let, All right. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let me let me make the distinction. I think that Bigfoot is a ter- terrestrial uh, animal. Yeah. Anything that, hmm. let, anything that clacks on trees, yeah, craps in the wood, yeah. If it really, well, let's look at it like this. If it really had the ability to travel through some uh, – be the master of, let's say. If it really had the, the ability to be the master of an interdimensional portal, yeah, why would it be going after old donuts and peanut sandwiches? You know what I mean? It wouldn't, would it? It <laughs> right. whatever the hell it wanted. <laughs> yeah, it could do what uh, it wanted. Well, would
2: you, it would be well, your would you box. put us that way –
3: when you put it but, that
2: way, yeah. well, then, yeah,
1: let, let, me, let me make a quick point. Let me make a quick point on this is that uh, reports of that nature are minute, I mean, compared to what uh, is out there with your, your average report, uh, I mean, uh, or right. encounter. Uh, this you is know, so minute. It, yeah, yeah, it really yeah. does not reflect my, I think,
0: Yeah. And my yeah. thing is, is that if it's paranormal for one person, if it's a paranormal, Entity for one person, it's a paranormal entity. Period. It's not. It's not a terrestrial animal for me and and Shane, and a and a interdimensional traveling for somebody else. It's and why are the majority of of reports of a terrestrial animal kind of behavior? I mean that well, it I, acts I, like I, a, I you know.
3: A, no, no, ahead. actually, and I think you're right. I, I I think this. I think this. You know, if it if it really had the mass, if it had this capability of, of, of technology and be able to control this capability of technology, it would be all hail our Sasquatch overlords. Yeah, we'd be oh, uh, right. we, they'd, exactly. they'd be the boss of us, and that that's why because kind of, you know yeah. uh, that's not a flippin' point because if you look, at, at, right. uh, it would have superior technology to us, vastly superior technology to us, and it wouldn't be in shitty donuts, you know, uh, off, off an old gifting right. bowl. It's the whole notion's ridiculous but, yeah. but um, the, the yeah, other problem well, your
0: your your point is well taken though that it's if we we kind of own the technology advantage and they seem yeah, to, to have an advantage over us in in their
3: environment absolutely absolutely but 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 by so, so so what have we got here so what we have got and this is my this is my considered view is what I think bigfoot is is um a bipedal. Um, it, it may or may not be related to us in some way, as in or one of our distant ancestors. It has a level of sentience. Its level of sentience is not um, commensurate to ours. It's not greater than ours. It's somewhere, I would say, between gorilla and orang and that sort of level, maybe slightly higher. Yeah. I don't know, but that's one of the big questions I'm interested in. And that's yeah. one thing. What's completely separate is that sometimes... There are paranormal phenomena which I cannot explain, but i'd like to try and work on and that 's a different thing too yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 the they There may be some level of interconnection, which again i don 't know, but there are lots of things i don 't know what i am comfortable and i 'm totally comfortable saying that what the alternative hypothesis is 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 um they are the keepers' mystic knowledge and that i'm right and you're wrong type certainties which is right. a nonsense exactly a nonsense right so that, that that's my that's my view on it but you know uh, I, and i think it's important to state that because i have lots of i hear lots of talk about what i think of people who um, who don't know me and there so there you go that's the, that's yeah. the headline or on. and that's a considered view yeah well let's switch
1: gears a little bit and get into uh, you know, your search for the Moko Mambi, uh you know, in the Congo, uh, did you ever hear of uh, and have you researched reports of unknown hominids or primates in those areas? Uh, you know, uh, to me that's fascinating because, I mean, we have the Ape, which is a recent discovery. And mm. and and yeah, and, and its behavior is fascinating to me. Its behavior is, is like, uh, you know, along the lines of what Jane Goodall has done. Uh, you know, we 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 think we know something, and we don't uh, with the chimpanzees. Um, yeah, have you ever heard reports? Uh, you know, looking for the Moko Mimbe, uh in the Congo. I mean, of of unknown primates and or hominids or whatnot.
3: There are there are stories of of, of uh, unknown primates in the Congo, but but. I didn't research them at the time and there's a reason why. What I was trying to do in Congo was get, a, was get evidence about one specific cryptid, Kilima Mambo. And I was working on that so hard. It can sometimes take a lot of time to break down cultural traditions and examples, even getting permits there. So I remember sitting... If I was very clear on my aims in the Congo, it made life a lot easier. So um, I was working with this I remember having to sit opposite. This guy who was a warlord called Gilbert. And, you know, I needed to say, I'm just looking for the McKinley Memba in order to get past you. I didn't want to confuse the issue, uh, in, in terms of research there. So I didn't, but, but, you know, I think you're right, Shane, in, in the sense that there are a lot of, there are, a, you know, when I flew over, I flew over that, that jungle on a, in an old Anatov plane, um, which just about made it. Um, and, uh, my uh, passenger next to me was a goat, um, mad all the way there. Uh, and uh, when I flew over that, I looked at how vast that was. And it really is, you know, That I really did. When I was trekking up to Tele, I, I can be 100% confident that some of the places I walked, people had not walked before. You know, I, I know that because of, of, of some of the loops I did when I went around like Tele in my pirogue And I stood on areas where people hadn't been before. And that, that was vast. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm sure that there are lots of creatures out there in the world that still remain undiscovered. And that's encouraging. That's encouraging, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, talking about the biliate, for example, you know, uh, the natives uh, talked about its behavior. They called it the lion killer, blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, uh, Jane Goodall, for example, proved that, you know, chimpanzees do... Man, you know, hunt and eat meat and, and whatnot, and I mean, it's fascinating to me. So there's a lot of behavioral things that we don't know about known animals, uh, and now we're leading to unknown or unproven uh, animals. Uh, you know, probably, you know, Sasquatch and whatnot. It's a fascinating topic. Uh, but your experiences, you know, I mean, what specifically with Sasquatch? I mean, uh, what is Sasquatch capable? of? Do you think Sasquatch. Uh, Hunts. Do you I mean, uh, just from your experiences and, and those you've talked to, and your research, what is Sasquatch capable of doing? I mean, is, is this? Uh, I mean, to me, it's a fascinating topic.
3: I think it's. I think it's. I think it's very bright. I think it's capable of. Um, obviously, it's remained elusive and undetected by people. Uh, and in order to do that, it, it must develop a level of sentience. It must be, It must be pretty rare because if it was um, extremely populous. Um, still, some 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 fat hunter one day would have popped one. Do you know what I mean? Um, mm. Going out for deer and right. and, and popped one. And so so it must be it must be pretty rare. Um, I think that they, they probably have wide ranges. I mean, when I think about apes that are, are in the wild, you can, we've talked about gorillas and and orangs. and probably one of the things that, that and they operate in family units. Uh, but even they roam about, but orangs will often be very you nomadic know, and roam, roam vast ranges, and they may well be like that. Uh, all of this is guesswork of course I don't know and that's what we want to try and do get some sort of um, scientific study but, but in order but that, to do that, that we're actually going to have to get a population
0: and that's actually a great place to start is start with known animals and and hmm. what we believe I mean you take, take a hypothesis and then you test it so you, we hmm. think that they're a uh, terrestrial bipedal primate or or something along that line, and then you take look for examples in in known animals and and see how you can extrapolate that. You you do an overlay basically of what of a known animal versus what we're looking for, and see how that matches up.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. And I'll give you an example which is relevant to the discussion we've had today. So um, the reason I I stopped. And looked um, towards the, the, the trees, and, and particularly the top of the trees. As I was with Shane at the Olympic Project and those other people, was because I have seen gorillas in the wild, big, large um, primates climbing to the top of trees. Yeah, climbing to the top of trees, and a lot of people are looking on the ground, but not no. looking up in the trees. Yeah, so when I've looked around Botet, you look in the trees, and that's just a very simple thing. Now I know some researchers do look in the trees, but. When I've been in North America, I've seen a lot of people just looking, focusing in front of themselves or on the ground. So I'm looking up in the trees, and and when I'm thinking about how how a Sasquatch might behave, I'm relating it to um, other behavior, both um, how we might behave as nomadic hunters, but also how other primates behave, and you you come to reasonable conclusions. It has to be an omnivorous opportunistic feeder. It has to do all of those. It has to be able to adapt to its environment. But so does the orang-pandek in Sumatra. So what you've seen mm-hmm. with the orang as I mentioned earlier, is, is it's going in and, um, and eating, snacking on food. But also it's slightly adapted to people in the sense that um, quite a few of the eyewitness reports talk about how it's gone into barns and gone for the sugar cane, you know, the high-calorie food. It's gone for the sugar cane because it, it likes those sort of things because it can get a lot of energy off them. In the same way, you know, when I was in the Congo and we were um, very, very hungry, we'd been on the, the, the swamp jungle to get to Lake Tele was horrendous. Sometimes it can be not so bad, it can go up to your ankles, but it had been a particularly heavy rainfall that year. And it was past our weights and the, uh, our waists, and the packs were 50 pounds and covered in sweat beads. We were exhausted by the time we got to Tele. And um, I was on the pirogue one time and, and, a, and a bee. What, Sam, who was one of my, my, my hunters. I had well and Sam. But Sam saw a bee, and we just, and then he just went, phew, we followed it. We went for this um, honey, and uh, we went for this you nest, know, pulled out the bee uh, honeycomb, and we gorged ourselves till we were feeling sick on the honey because we had extra calories, and it was great, and it was tasty, and we had our sweet things. So, you know, all of these things are a combination of past experience for me, tracking um, since it occurred, and also having seen a number of these primates in the wild, thinking how they might be, behave and applying it to, to North America. And, you know, the forests um, here are, 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 are really good places where um, a rare creature like Sasquatch could exist. One of the things, for example, I did with Jeff Meldrum as we spoke to Mr. Yuan for the China's Wildman film, and we got a print there and he analyzed that very carefully. It was great, great, one of the best pieces. The Monster Crush should have made more of it. It was it was fantastic, but he came to the conclusion that was um, <clears throat> from an unknown primate, and he led, led to that collaboration, the, the the first one ever between the Chinese and the Americans on that um, the, that scientific briefing note. And you know, he came to the conclusion that there were a lot of parallels in in the, in the morphology of that print between uh, uh, Chi- the Chinese one and the North American one. I uh, you know, and you look at high altitude forests here, and there are plenty of opportunities for um, the creatures to 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 subsist. The one thing I would say is, um, I would doubt that they will stay in the same place perpetually. I would think that they would have to move around. Well, what about a, a viable population? You know, uh,
1: I, I'm I, you know I refer back to. Uh, you know, like bears and whatnot in the Mount Everest area, I mean, they're not frequently seen, uh, you know. No, pretty, no, rare. pretty rare. Right, mm-hmm. right. And we can refer back to uh, some of the great apes, you know, on gorillas and whatnot. I mean, what do you think in your opinion? I mean, one of the big questions that comes up time and time again is, you know, if Sasquatch is real, it would need a certain amount of number to procreate. And, uh, yeah. Without you know genetic you know uh, you know and all that getting involved uh, you know uh, so in your opinion um, of course not an expert on it obviously but in your opinion I mean uh, is, is Sasquatch really able to live here in the United States or the Civil Northwest and British Columbia Canada and all these areas mm-hmm. I, I think so personally I don't think uh, I yeah. think people really get screwed up with the numbers
3: yeah and i I don't think that they should get too stupid with the numbers because there's nothing you can do about it. I mean you know all of it's guesswork, work uh, but, uh, and it has to be but but what I would say is um, first of all they'll roam they'll have specific, they'll, they'll roam within a range, but they they'll, they'll they'll roam um, normally but they have to be rare um because there are hunters out in the woods, and you know if they were very common. Um, whether they're intelligent or not, make, they'd make a mistake. Um, so, uh, even if they can see camera trap things, and some creatures can see camera trap, we, we could have this whole debate whether a cram, whether you can see the, 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 the idea of some camera trap or not. But even if they can, they would make a mistake, um, and, and they would be backed um, by, by somebody. So they yeah. must be pretty rare. Um, they must be, you know, you know, uh, maybe may, no more than no more than than um, a reasonable viable population even in the pacific northwest it must be no more than a thousand or so um, yeah you know but that but that's that's a guess and you know maybe only right. a few hundred um it's not going to be any more than that it's not going to be um thousands or tens of thousands it's going to be a few hundred to maybe a thousand maximum maybe a few more in, in different pockets like texas um yeah. and i was i was interested in the missouri you know that area around the four corners when i went there that was my, that swamp area very much reminded me of, um, of, of the habitat of some of the jungles I've been in. So I, I'd, I'd like to have a look at that again. So, so there may be other pockets in the south and in other areas, I don't know, a higher area, where there may well be um, pockets of these things. But they're going to be very small numbers. And, mm-hmm. and they'll, they'll have some genetic reduction because, they, you know, I can't see, they'll, become, they'll, they'll be becoming more isolated in their, with their genetics. Um, in areas, yeah. because I, I can't even, they're not going to transit the whole of the continent. <laughs> so, so <laughs> small numbers, small numbers right. in, in, in in pockets, and they're able to roam around. Um, so, there you go. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, when I had to,
1: uh, when I was in San Diego, i go to the zoo all the time, and when, now I'm up here in Portland, I go to the Portland Zoo, and my favorite, favorite, without doubt, uh, you know, exhibits are the primary exhibits. But more specifically, I love, love, love the orangutans. I mean, I just love watching them, what they're doing. Um, and I see, uh, personally, uh, some, very, uh, some things are very similar to Sasquatch, uh, you know, uh, as I would imagine, uh, hypothesizing, you know, orangutans are very intelligent. They're thinkers. They, they use tools. And also their gestation period. I mean, they they give uh, birth like I, I believe it's like once every eight years or so. I would imagine Sasquatches are on a similar path or similar, uh, you know, uh, that they don't give birth every year. I I, I cannot possibly in my mind see them give birth every year. I think it's much, you know, it's very similar to their range. Um, the
3: oranges, orangutans. Yeah, and, 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 it, and, and, and that, it's very. Yeah. It has to be. I mean I I think I think you know as you'll know uh, giving birth is a very bad survival <laughs> thing because it's right. more <laughs> so, so so when we Kinda look at to, yeah. when we look at yeah <laughs> yeah um, it's important we'd, we'd, we'd a, <laughs> But, 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 but um, you see when when um, when we look at this so so let's look at neanderthals let's look at um one of our ancestors uh one of the things that they did um, they had a very low reproductive rate And that's one of the reasons that they died out Aside from the, 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 their genetic Combinations with us they, and one of the, they had a low reproductive rate Because it took a lot of resources To care for a child Yeah, Especially when you're a nomadic hunter um, So it's a bad idea To reproduce a lot But by the same token if you don't reproduce enough Then you go extinct So these things can quietly die out And I think you know In Mongolia uh, and to give it just to sort of give a tangential kind of example, I was in a situation there where I traveled many thousands of miles across the country and I only got down to this tiny area about 50 square miles around a, a town called Hoft where there'd been any recent sightings. And the whole thing had carried on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, uh, 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 of miles and many stories and all that lot, and it gradually eroded down. And, you know, it also, it almost seemed to me, and this is a conjecture, one of the things that happened to it, that it had bred itself out of existence. (laughs) So, uh, and gradually it becomes Mm -hmm. harder to find Mm. mates as well because they're in more isolated pockets and you just disappear. There isn't always a, you know, a violent clash in order for evolution to make you extinct. Right. Well,
1: Adam, you know, uh, the Olympic project is working with, you know, on this this possible bedding uh, nesting area that we mm. we don't call it a sasquatch or area. I mean, we don't know. We haven't mm. seen sasquatch make these beds or these nesting areas, but they are unique because really have not been found. Uh, I've been there in person and and, and looked at them, and studied them. Never seen anything like this in all my years in the woods. Uh, and Derek Randall and a lot of other guys like you, can only have, have spent and can Cliff Kirkman, niece as well, have spent mm. you know many years um, in the woods. Uh, they're hunters, guides, everything. I've never come across something of this caliber. Um, I would love for you to, uh, to witness them in, per- in person. But the, uh, uh, you know, oh, I had like to. I
3: spoke, I spoke to you and Derek about them. Um, I mean, when, he, when I saw the photographs of them, they reminded me. I mean, Derek talked about, I mean, this is all hypotheses about the potential. Right. Parallels between gorilla nests, which is what you should do—you should do a comparison. They reminded me a little of nests. I would like to see them. I think it would be great. I'm, it would be—I mean, I don't know how that research is progressing. I'm sure you're going to have controls where you leave some of the areas alone and don't touch some of the nests, and some of you may go back to for comparison purposes. But I'm sure you've got it all in hand. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, I mean, I would love to have you up there, uh, up in
1: Washington, to check these out in person to compare the mm. those who you know. Uh, have you ever? Uh, have you ever come across, um, you know, I'm sure you've studied and researched gorilla nests before, hmm. but have you ever come across a gorilla nest uh, in person?
3: Yeah, in the Congo I have one on one occasion, but I've come across many orang nests, yeah, and orang um, yeah. areas, and that's what I'm more familiar with. Um, so I've so I got I two numerous ones to mention over, over the years. So that was where I drew the parallel between orang nests and, um, and, and the, and, and the uh, ones in the... Uh, in, in Washington, what I saw, yeah, uh, yeah, and, and, and I, I think it's potentially very, 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 very interesting. I mean, you know, I don't want to talk about Derek's research because obviously it's Derek, right. and I'm, I'm not sure what he's what he's sharing and not sharing. And it's your research and the Olympic project. So all I'll say is um, on that, on that, to be very careful. Um, is I am very interested in it, and I would like to see how it progresses, and hopefully I'll get an opportunity to uh, see them myself one day, and that way I'm not not impinging on anybody else's research by imparting what um, he has not hasn't shared.
1: <laughs> right, right. I, yeah, I understand. And you'd probably be more than welcome, and uh, we'll talk down the road about that. But, you know, I, I gotta I'd got to. like you know, to see him. Back to, yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a close study, and it's very tight-knitted, you know, obviously.
0: Uh, no, but, a but actually, is a, that's the way that, that Derek has approached it, is that you don't just invite you know, you don't just open up. It's not a tourist site. It's a research area. No. So,
3: no, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so not completely yeah. the way it should be. You know what? Right. Absolutely. Um, two 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 things. Are, um, I mean, I agree a lot with a lot, a lot of what Derek says. I like Derek Perth. He's a nice guy and, and he's a good researcher, great researcher, but a couple of things he said that, 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 that I'll draw out here is number one, um, yeah, it, it, as you said, you know that these things aren't um, tourist sites; they're, they're, they're research areas. Secondly, um, where you don't publish your research is Facebook. <laughs> you know, you might put up a few photographs if you having a good time, but if you have, <laughs> if you really don't <laughs> want anything scientifically analysed, then you don't put it up on <laughs>
4: Facebook.
3: Yeah, it's not the place. It's not the place. So, uh, well, I know, have I to, might I have to post-
0: completely disagree with you there.
3: <laughs> Facebook is the most it's
0: just the most scientific. No, I, I've said many times that, that Bigfoot will not be proven on Facebook.
3: No. Absolutely. What? <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you can chat about Bigfoot on Facebook, by all means, if you want to. Um, but, you know, any serious research, is not going to publish there. Um, evidence first on Facebook. They're not going to, you know. I'm sure all three of us have stuff bubbling along right now that we, we we want to do and talk about or analyze have analyzed scientifically But you know what? It's not going to be published live on Facebook. It's going to be. You know, we'll talk about that last. It's like reveal it. It's just not. <laughs> so, so, so move, You know, any um, aspiring researchers out there, move away from the Facebook. Put your keyboard down and get your ass out into the field.
1: Yeah. Well, we're, we're closing in on about six minutes till the end of the show here. But um, speaking of nests, I want to get into some of your books, uh, uh, Adam. Mm-hmm. But real quick, uh, have you – I mean, i got to ask you, have you uh, heard of or were not with any nest sites in, in the Himalayas or anything like that? I mean, anything that uh, could bring similarity to what's going on here in the Pacific Northwest?
3: Good question, not in the, not in the Pacific, uh, not in, the, in, in Nepal, I haven't, no yeah. I'm not sure, I'm not, I've not found any evidence of them And I've not seen any, any eyewitnesses who have reported that That's not to mean that they don't exist But it, it's important when we share research, as we're doing right now live on your show I tell you what, I haven't, haven't found So the starting point to you, the answer to your question is no But that doesn't mean that there isn't, it's just I haven't found it Right that's fascinating to me.
1: That really, truly is fascinating to me because I think uh, what the Olympic project is working on, uh, you know, is is almost unprecedented. Uh, we're talking about uh, a possible, you know, it, well, it is is a bedding area, a nesting area. I mean, no doubt. What's mm. making them? We don't know for sure. We can't say. Mm. But they have not been uh, nothing like this has been really. Uh, I saw. Uh, Rainforest uh, Sasquatch, there's a book out there and and it's got a similar nest in that picture and it's from Alaska. That's very similar to what the LM Project is working on. And but I think it's just that rare. And that leads me into a whole another segment of uh, ideas and questions, you know, uh, are we you know and I would expect I would expect Sasquatch being rare, I would expect these nests in and, and bedding areas to be rare as well, if they are indeed sasquatch related. And so uh to me, uh, that I don't think they're going be – they're hard to find. They're just hard to find. But, yeah, they're uh, very, very hard yeah. to find.
3: And they do, they, they, one of the things that interested me about Dashwatch, and, and, you know, obviously I found myself here because of, 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 of um, marrying Nadia, and I'm very glad to be in San Diego, and that was, that was why I was here. But one of the things that, that, that now I am here is, is the big question is um, why, are they, uh, why have they not been detected so far? So, um, and gathering evidence to do that. And one of the keys around understanding why have they not been detected so far, apart from the rarity value uh, of the creature, is their level of sentience. So what are they intellectually capable of um, in order to remain so elusive? And, and that's, that's, that's the thing that, you know, if you're asking me what I think about most in relation to Sasquatch, that's the single point I think about most. Aside from the gathering of the evidence in the field research, it's that... It's that point of, 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 of what, what what are they actually capable of? And when I debate that, I'm not trying to say again that they're you know if only I had the key to the door of the magic Sasquatch city you know um, that they're, they're, they're clacking rocks in in, in, in the uh, in the woods that level. <laughs> yeah. But but they must have um, some level of sentience, which is which is um, which is interesting.
0: Well, Adam, I I appreciate you you joining us today we're just about out of time um for one thing if folks want to uh if our listeners want to uh be able to read your books and find your books where would they go to find them are they available on amazon do you have
3: them yeah i mean there's there's there's, people there's three there's three places you can find Um, I've written two books. Uh, The first one was Extreme Expeditions, Travel Adventures, Stalking the World's Mystery Animals, and the most recent one, Man Beasts, A Personal Investigation, and you can find them on Amazon.com. I do have a public Facebook page, Adam Davis, T-A-V-I-E-S. I I won't be revealing um, (laughs) the keys to my research, as I've just said, but I will talk to you and message you. um, uh, If you like the page, I'll communicate with you, so um, feel free to contact me there. Um, I do put up photographs of my expeditions and and that's it. So those, I think those are the best ways to contact me. I would say that um, over the next um, month or so, I'll be out in the field a lot um, between now and um, and <clears throat> Christmas. Uh, so if I don't reply to you straight away, do forgive me. It's not because I'm being rude. It's just because I'm uh, out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the thing is that what people uh, need to understand is that uh, independent researchers are actually – uh, take time out of their own personal lives and stuff, and, and yeah. their own personal yeah. finances to go out and yeah. and spend time in the field. So, so Adam, Mister Davis, not Davies, as I may have <laughs> pro- mispronounced it earlier, it, is. It's cool. Uh, I don't you mind. Get, <laughs> I don't mind at all. <laughs> <laughs> we we really appreciate you uh, joining us tonight on uh, Monster X Radio. And look forward to hearing more about your adventures and uh, seeing you out in the field in the, the near future, my friend. So, thanks again for joining us.
3: Oh, thank you very much. I'd love to speak to you both, and I hope I uh, see you in person again soon.
0: All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening in. We'll be back next weekend with a new episode of Monster X Radio. Until then, have a great week and keep it squatchy. Thank mm-hmm. you.